Hey everyone, this is Mike for episode 14 of Getting Everyone Moving, a podcast brought to you by Palms to Pines Parasports. And today I have my friend Paul Bose from cold Canada. <laughs> yes, the frigid north, we the north. Hi, Michael, how you doing? Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Yeah. All right, Paul. So let's get going. So tell us how you got started in the world of adoptive sports. Well, actually, it was uh, quite a while ago. My uh, stepson, Jason, got into a train accident in 1985 and uh, lost both of his legs. And uh, initially, he was not interested in, in uh, playing any, any sport and wanted to walk, you know, wanted to uh, not see a wheelchair. But uh, uh, the uh, London Wheelchair Basketball Association, who I've been associated and coaching with since 1988, uh, they're very good people there. And they just took their time with them and they would send in an amputee to recruit him rather than a paraplegic or, an, uh, you know, uh, a spinal cord or something like that. So um, eventually he took it up and got hooked right away. And I was just simply a fan. I, I, I didn't play basketball. It was the only sport I did not play growing up, hated it. And then uh, they needed a coach. And uh, my good buddy, David, played uh, a varsity uh, college ball in London and, and he coached for the first year and then he had to go back to school so I kind of took over and I was very fortunate that being an able-bodied guy that they uh, they took me under their wing I knew sport I had coached a lot of other sports before and uh, they were very patient with me and taught me the game and uh, it's been a, a lifelong experience now. So we're going to get more into that but you know what advice I mean would you give parents who's you know who has a child where they've had an accident? I mean, how do you, yeah, what, what would you tell them to tell their, you know, child or help to help their child? Well, certainly they've got to face the facts that, you know, that they've been injured and stuff like that, but, but uh, reassure them that there is certainly life after this. And I think that you hear a lot of, a lot of kids or, or, you know, national team members say that uh, uh, that was their, their first instinct was to, uh, be kind of negative and whatnot, but uh, uh, just to get out there and be patient and not to push your kid. Mm -hmm. um, get them into all kinds of different sports. I mean, obviously, wheelchair basketball is the greatest sport in the world. However, there are plenty of other sports out there. And uh, I encourage all of my athletes to try every single sport. Um, take it very slow to start because it takes a long time to master the chair or the sled or a set of skis or whatever. So don't expect to be national team athletes uh, right off the bat. And I've seen a lot of that where that first contact, the athlete comes in and says, I want to go to the Paralympic Games. You're the coach of the Paralympic team. I want to go. And it's so you have to really be careful about that. And you have to be uh, just as careful with the parents as well. And uh, make them sh make sure that they have fun first. And it all depends where they come in. You may have an eight-year-old kid coming in, or you may have a 35-year-old guy that's just uh, uh, become amputated or, a, you know, a girl that maybe had been in a, in a car accident. So uh, basically it's um, enjoy the sport. Be, be very patient with everybody. They're dealing with a lot of other things than just trying to learn a new sport. So um, it's, it's all the life things that they have to learn as well. Uh, one of my players, Billy Langevelle, uh, great kid. He's been around for, for a very long time. Now he has his own kid. And he said he didn't really learn about uh, all the things that he needed to do uh, in rehab. He learned about those things being on our team. 
And, I mean, what are so what are some of those things? Uh, really, just how to transfer, how to catheterize, mm -hmm. uh, how to go to the bathroom. Um, learned all about the, you know, um, you have an accident. You know, it's, it, you don't have to be embarrassed. I mean, it happens. Um, you know, the old saying happens, but uh, um, that there are like people around there. So it's um, when those things happen, it's not uh, something that, you know, you're not the first one for an accident to happen. So uh, people are there to help you out. People are there to show you the uh, different things, how to get in and out of doors, how to transfer on your car, uh, you know, without wiping out. Uh, take one wheel off your, your wheelchair instead of uh, uh, both. And, and, you know, some doors aren't made that way. And just how to bump in and around a, a door frame that's not made for wheelchairs. Um, just different stuff like that. Really practical. Um, what have you learned from, uh, you know, working with coaching adaptive athletes? And, and where has... Uh, coaching adaptive athletes, you know, taking you throughout the world? Oh, well, um, I have to say that I've been really privileged and honored and, and uh, uh, to been all over the world. And uh, actually, my latest trip was with a really great guy uh, from California named Mike Rosencrantz. I don't know if you know him or not, but uh, we, I was able to share a fabulous experience with him with the International Community of the Red Cross in the fall was, last year. Yeah. And that was just uh, uh, my latest trip. But uh, since 1992, I uh, started with Team Canada. So mm -hmm. I've been fortunate enough to go to five Paralympic Games, won three gold medals, a silver medal, world championships, coached Team Canada juniors. Um, so I was on the bench for Team Canada for 25 years. Um, and then uh, um, when I uh, retired from that, another interesting opportunity came along with the Invictus Games. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the best organizations I've ever been involved with, with uh, Joe Corrali and Jay Faco uh, leading that up. And so I've been to a, a few Invictus games and uh, um, uh, another door opened up as well. It's always one of those things where one door closes, another door opens. So right away, uh, Team Germany called me up. So I'm an assistant coach with Team Germany as well. And then ICRC opened up. So um, spent 25 years with Canada and I'm busier now than I was, was then. So pretty much been uh, all over the, all over the world, and I have got friends all around this globe. Um, a lot of those friends have actually come to visit me at my cottage in Grand Bend, Ontario, on Lake Huron. So, um, hopefully, you'll be one of those guys someday. Yes. <laughs> um, so, great memories, um, great friends. Uh, a lot of times, you don't really remember who who won or lost, but you certainly remember the great friends you've made, uh, friendships you made all over the world. So, what are some of the learnings though that you've taken? from, you know, having this just incredible experience. I mean, you know, you talk about being privileged, but, you know, you're really blessed. I mean, what an amazing opportunity. Yeah, it's, like I said, I coached a lot of things. I, I coached hockey and, and softball or fastball. I don't know if you guys call it that, but uh, fastball, um, it's uh, not slow pitch, but it's, it's, it's like hardball, but it's, it's pitched underhand. And, and so okay. I coached a lot of those sports and played squash and golf. I love, I have a passion for golf and, and whatnot. So when I got into uh, adaptive sports, uh, the biggest thing I, I found out was that these guys and gals, they're just athletes. You know, mm -hmm. they're not disabled athletes. You know, they're athletes with a disability. And it's one of those things. It's like, 
you know, how would I go in there and, and, and coach and whatnot? Like I said before, my London team was very patient with me. And I learned from one of the greatest guys that I've ever met, Keith Cartwright. He founded our organization and was on our national team as well. And, and he said, just teach us, just coach us like you would anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, you want us to go through that brick wall, we'll go through that brick wall for you. You know, uh, understand that, um, you know, different classifications uh, have, have different things that they can do. So uh, don't uh, look at any of us as disabled. Just just look at us as athletes. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing that I've learned that realistically, I go into a gym, I don't even see the chair. I just see a bunch of people that are interested in learning the sport, competing at the sport, playing at the highest level or at the junior level. That's just as gratifying. Or, or like you and I when were in Nepal. That was just absolutely fabulous to get to a clean, clean slate and just teach those guys and gals all about the game. And they were just sponges and they were so awesome to, to, to coach. Um, and just, just the life lessons of, of, of what, the, what sport can be. You know, the sport, you know, it's just a powerful, powerful tool. The, the transformational power of sport from somebody that's newly injured into, hey, there's a lot of people like me out there. And I can go out and I can get in a chair. And, you know, it's a freedom that, that, that they can enjoy. And uh, um, it's something that if you initiate it correctly, they'll be able to enjoy that, enjoy that sport not just wheelchair basketball for the rest of their lives. Have you found, I mean, you know, one of the things I've found working in this field is that I become more sensitive to kind of barriers for people with disability. Like I'll always go, you know, when I can travel, I'll go into a, a restroom and look at, look at the facility for someone with a person with a disability, you know, it's just part of what I do. Yeah. Um, have you found that to be the case for you as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, with my, my steps on being a double amputee and, mm-hmm. and just the curb cuts, we live in pretty places in, in North America, being from Canada, US, USA. But I mean, we saw that in Nepal. I remember driving to the gym the first time. He looked back at me and said, look at this. And there was a guy going down the street on like a moped and he had two wheelchair Guys holding onto the back of the back of his bike, and that's how they got to the gym. And that just to me is incredible. That you know, sometimes we take things uh, uh, just as if they should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we uh, we traveled on a big bus for a long time. We bought this old bus for London, and uh, we'd have to stop at many you know uh, spots along the way. And on several occasions. Our guys would go into the bathroom and then they'd get the, uh, the maintenance guy and say, do you realize this door really isn't, you know, a good door for, a, you know, a, a, bas- or a, a wheelchair user? It opens in. I can get in, but then how do I close it? You know, how do I close the door? So they were, you know, it's, it's like learning all the way across the country and all that stuff. And just, just you know, the traveling that I've done, you know, going on airplanes and, and uh uh, not being able to access planes through the door and having to go up through where they, you know, give the, take the food in and going up on a tow motor and, and uh, all the different uh, types of, of, of travel that we've, we've had that things just aren't all that accessible. So, yeah, we're very wary to that. A lot of my friends, of course, and Keith Cartwright that I mentioned uh, earlier on, he was a huge advocate of, of those types of things for uh, people with disabilities. Uh, 
to be able to access places. You know, our gym that we practice in for years, we couldn't get into the bathroom. And then they finally expanded those doors so that the, the walls, like the whole doors had to be moved so that our athletes could get into the bathroom. So yeah, it's an eye opener um, for sure. I mean, you even come across a lot of times you get into a taxi cab and, and the taxi driver asks you for the money, you know, rather than the guy in the wheelchair, you yeah. know, stuff like that. And that still yeah. occurs. And it's like, I'm not paying, he's paying, you know, <laughs> it's uh, uh, that type of thing. So that's right. You know, I think while well, that sport teaches people, you know, how to advocate for themselves as well. I mean, you, you build confidence, um, you know, you learn to be more assertive. Um, have you seen that kind of develop in some of your, some of the athletes that you've, that you've coached? Oh, well. You know, I think that that goes along able-bodied or uh, uh, para-sports. Uh, but I, I see it a lot, with, even with our national team athletes, right? Like um, just just different people that, you know, enter a gym and they see the Patrick Anderson or the Joey Johnson and stuff like that. And they just go into a shell and they're like, oh, man, I, I can't compete with these guys. And, and uh, having guys like that around that are amazing human beings, they bring them in and say, hey, you know, try this, do it this way, do it that way, you know, don't do that, you know, so, um, and then you can just see their confidence build that, hey, you know, I, you know, give me a couple of years and I can get my game elevated to where I might be able to make this national team. Um, you know, in, in our junior ranks, I've got some kids that can't even uh, dribble the basketball. They can barely push their chairs, yeah. but it's not about, you know, what they can't do. It's about their potential. And that's the thing is like, uh, seeing um, seeing them reach their potential so that a gold medal for somebody might be able to dribble the ball four or five times. Yeah. And that's the thing that you have to celebrate. Yeah. And it's, it, it's those types of things. And I've got one girl who uh, she was 16 years old when she started, could barely dribble the ball. Uh, we stuck with her, the team stuck with her, um, you know, giving her confidence. And, and uh, she never saw herself really going to college. And now she's going to college. You know, she still can't hit the 10 foot hoop, but that doesn't matter to her. She picks like you wouldn't believe. She's a great passer and she's a great teammate. And that's what we look for is that potential. Not that you always have to get to that gold medal. That's, that's never been in my philosophy of coaching. Yeah. Um, it's something that certainly when I'm at the elite level, that is what you need to achieve. Yeah. Um, but the smaller things are, are the gold medals. Those are the little things that we can take and say, that's my gold medal. Yeah. So in Canada, I mean, you're all pretty well-developed in terms of you know, having teams for juniors, right? All the way to adults and all that. Can you talk a little bit about, um, yeah, Canadian Wheelchair Basketball? Yeah, Canadian Wheelchair Basketball Association, uh, Wheelchair Basketball Canada now. Um, I was the president of it actually from 2000 to 2005. But uh, it's had a really great structure for... Uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, we've got um, junior teams, we've got junior national championships. Uh, we've got a thing called the Canada Games as well, which is an able-bodied movement, but wheelchair basketball was actually the first sport uh, that was included in it. And it's like a mini Paralympic Games because all of our provinces have a team in the Canada Games. So it has an opening ceremonies, it has uh, closing ceremonies, it has the athlete's village, it has, everything that you can think of that kind of prepares those athletes 
to get ready for the for the next level. We have national championships, women's national championships. Um, I'm the coach of the women's uh, Ontario women's team as well. Something I'm I'm extremely proud of. Uh, you know, got a, a great great bunch of gals there. That uh, uh, five years ago there was only three or four of them on, on the team, and they they wanted to uh, expand that. So now we've got 20, 30 girls that come out to, to try out for the for the team. We uh, for the first couple of years we never won a game, and yet you would think that we were the champions of that league just the way these girls looked after each other. And so that was very rewarding as well. So um, um, then we've got the national teams, uh, Canada's men's and women's team have done really well. And we also do a lot of, or not do a lot of, but in, uh, able body uh, involvement in the sport. And realistically that's elevated our women's game back in the day. Um, uh, Tim Frick and, and Joe Higgins, uh, back in the 90s when Canada's first gold medal and they won three gold medals in a row. But a lot of the people behind the scenes were those able-bodied players that were able to push uh, the, the uh, classifiable players on the team. Um, so a lot of our, our teams throughout Canada are mixed with able-bodied people because we don't have the numbers state set. So some places, if you only have three uh, uh, disabled individuals in the, in, in the city or in the, in the league, um, how do you get them to play games. You add in their brothers and sisters uh, or their friends. And then they get in the chair and you can't get them out. They have so much fun with it. And I know that in National Wheelchair Basketball, the NWBA, which London is one of the longest serving teams in that, in that organization, um, uh, we don't allow able-bodied players um, uh, in London, except me as the coach. But um, uh, the NWBA tried it a couple times, but they've uh, just decided against it. So it's kind of funny. I brought up my old book here. Uh, this is <laughs> this is the book that I learned from. This is my Bible, and I still have it in volume two. And, and but the people who wrote these books eventually became uh, my good friends. Brad Head, uh, Dan Burns, and Lou Shaver, um, guys that literally wrote the book on wheelchair basketball, and I studied every bit of that. So. Uh, um, now you know 30 years later uh, we're good buddies and stuff like that but uh, wheelchair basketball uh, in Canada um, we don't have the, the college system like you guys do mm. um, but a lot of our players actually go down uh, to the college system and, and our head coach for a long time Mike Frogley coached at the University of uh, uh, Whitewater Wisconsin and as well as University of Illinois mm. so um, uh, Patrick Anderson you know um, he was University of Illinois, Joey Johnson, Chris Stoutenberg. Uh, all these guys went down to school there before they uh, went over and played professionally in, in Germany and whatnot. So we don't really have those professional type leagues or, or a college system that uh, can feed into that. But uh, we have to thank you guys for, for that college system. But uh, we have great leagues throughout, the, like our, our league in Ontario, we've got five or six teams. And then the team that wins that goes to the national championship every year. So your provincial winner goes and meets at the national championships. So you have a lot of people playing, a lot of athletes. Why haven't any colleges in Canada kind of picked up on this then? Well, I think, Mike, it's, it's just the number of players. We just uh, wouldn't have the numbers to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. uh, so to, to have a team of 10 to 12 um, in, a, in a university system. So what we do have is, is the National Academy in Toronto, and but it's not really a college system. And a lot of the players, unfortunately, um, 
uh, haven't taken classes. They, they could go to U of T, there's a, a University of Toronto, um, but it's basically a national team academy where um, the up and comers, the next generation uh, players, they come and train together as well as a lot of our national team players train there as well. Um, but again, a lot of those players go to Alabama or, you know, wherever they, they, they can get, uh, you know, some playing time. Yeah. I just, you know, I see that as not just Canada, but in the U S I see it as such a big issue. I was recently, um, looking at a chart that the university of Michigan had done and they're getting into adaptive sports, but you know, the number of colleges doing collegiate level sports, whether it's tennis, basketball, track and field, you know, it's a handful, right? And so you're asking, you know, youth who may have grown up in say, you know, in California, uh, they wanna play basketball, the closest is Arizona. So you're asking youth who grew up in Canada, you know, if they wanna continue playing basketball or do tennis, I mean, they're out of the country. It's a, it's a yeah. difficult thing. And I'm just, I'm hoping that as the years go by, you know, we have more collegiate uh, adaptive sport programs. So. Yeah, not just wheelchair basketball, right? Like I know the track and field program is, is good and all that stuff. But yeah, it's, it'd be nice if they could be able to come to play whatever sport that they wanted to, right? But wheelchair basketball, of course, is the top draw as well as track. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going there with the wheelchair basketball being the best sport, but you know, um, I want to pick up on something that you said about uh, able-bodied uh, participants, because I see part of adaptive sports is creating more societal inclusion, creating greater awareness. So I'd like to get your thoughts on, I mean, inclusion. I mean, how do, how do we do that? Um, how do we do more of that? Well, I think it's, it's one of those things. When I started in 88, and, and uh, we would go to the Spitfire Challenge. Michael Bryce was the organizer of that. It was one of the world's largest wheelchair basketball tournaments. And the Spitfires consistently won that. And they had a guy named Jerry Tinello on that team. And he was a great big guy and he was a heck of a player. And I couldn't stand him. I thought this big bully and all this stuff. And then I went to a symposium uh, that was put on at that tournament. And he explained that uh, his friend, Bobby Bryce, well, his brother, Michael, was now in a wheelchair. And in order for them to play sports with their brother, they had to get into the chair. And Jerry said, I just didn't understand the hatred that would be expressed for an able-bodied person in the chair. And I was one of those people. Not that I overtly did that, but it was just like, why are you playing this game? This is for being people in a chair. So Jerry Tell turned out to be one of my best friends. Well, and, you know, I spent 25 years with him on the Canadian team bench. Mm -hmm. um, I joke that uh, I've slept with Jerry more than I've, uh, you know, slept with my wife because, you know, we room so much together. You're on the road so much. But <laughs> Jerry unfortunately passed away um, just before the Rio games. Um, but he really showed me what the able-bodied uh, involvement was all about, that I can get in a chair and I can play with my friends. And those able-bodied people get in the chair and they don't want to get out because they, we know it's a blast. It's so much fun. And uh, the, the toughest person to recruit actually is the uh, ambulatory, you know, single amputee or whatever, because they don't see the chair as a piece of equipment. 
they see the chair as, oh my God, I'm going to be in that wheelchair for the rest of my life. And that's just not the way it, the way it is. Mm. In Canada, we try to show it that it's a sport and a high sport, very high you know, level sport with all the banging and crashing and, and, and everything that goes on. And, you know, when you take people, you say, don't, don't look at the wheelchairs, look at the skill, look at the passing, look at the camaraderie, look at the teamwork. And those types of things, like, oh, my God. And then they start to ask, not ask questions about what are the chairs made of, blah, blah, blah. It's what are the defenses? What are the offenses? You know, look at the tactics. They're very similar. The able, you know, and then they start to see it as a sport. And that's, that's what's good about it. So, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. I love the, I love the strategy. I, um, you know, I've really gotten into this boccia ball, um, which yep. initially I thought, you know, what is this? But I've been playing you know, with uh, adaptive athletes and it's what a strategic, you know, kind of game. I mean, I, I love it. Oh, yeah. It's so cool, you know, so yeah. yeah. Very so, exciting. Too. <laughs> it is, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah. it's great. Um, yeah. So I, we're coming kind of to the end of this interview. So what, what kind of words of, um, would you like to leave us or leave the listening audience with? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is, 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 is getting involved is, is that first contact that I talked about earlier. Uh, when you have a, a man or woman, old or young, whatever, when they first come into the gym, it's pretty intimidating um, to be injured, to see these people out there whipping around in wheelchairs or sleds or tennis, uh, playing rugby, you know, rugby is an awesome sport as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, so uh, just take your time with that first contact. Don't push them into a chair right away. Let them just observe if they want to. Mm. Let them go up and down the sideline. Uh, have a look. See what's going on. Get the feel for the game. But sit and talk with them. You know, I do that a lot. I sit and talk with them. I explain what's going on out the floor, and then I'll go out and coach a little bit. But I've got a great coaching staff that handles all that stuff while I'm up there. Then I'll come back and talk to them. And then, you know, we've got a couple plants, you know, that are in the uh, – in the uh, yeah. athlete system too that might come over if it's an if it's an amputee then an amputee will come over and talk to them yeah. and just say hey you know how, how and don't try to push them into the chair and that's the biggest thing is that first contact is recruiting them because our numbers are so low we can't stand to lose one athlete because they didn't have a great first contact and the second thing uh is communication mm. i find communication is the driver of everything whether it's positive, whether it's negative, uh, when practices are, when games are, when's the bus leaving, you really have to make sure uh, to communicate to all your athletes, all your staff, all your volunteers. Um, be thankful, be kind to everyone. You know, guys like, well, kind of guys like me that have, that have had a lot of success and stuff like that, we've been successful because of the volunteers, because of the people that, that don't get to go to all of these games. So um, it's, it's one of those things that just be thankful of, of, of where you are and, and just keep working hard, you know, but um, work hard and you'll get there someday. Because I, 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 I know in 1988, I said to myself, I want to get to the Paralympic Games someday, you know, and, and uh, I never thought I would. And then Joe Higgins had me out as an assistant coach on a team in 94, at the World Championships. Then I got to go to Atlanta. And then I was thinking, wow, that is fabulous. And it was just, I think it's through communication and, and just, how you teach your players, uh, how you communicate to your players, 
um, what's the, the saying that, you know, a, a player doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And I think that that's a really, really important thing. So, um, you know, again, with, with, with my uh, Indictus Games athletes, I thought the highest level I could ever achieve was to go to a Paralympic Games with, with Team Canada. And, and it was. But then I got involved with these Invictus athletes, which, as you guys know, are uh, wounded warriors, uh, soldier on. And I've been to Warrior Games. I was at Warrior Games last year uh, in Tampa, and it was an amazing experience. Um, but that is the highest level that I could ever achieve, is to serve those who have served. And, and to me, that is the highest honor that I, I will ever achieve is to be involved with these Invictus Games athletes. So, and a lot of what I do there, it's not about winning gold medals. It's about getting to the start line. Okay. The finish line yeah. is way beyond the finish line. It's way beyond the closing ceremonies. Yeah. And part of that is that communication, letting them know that they're athletes, letting them know that somebody cares, not just during these games, but forever. And I think, uh, uh, that's that's kind of what I say. Work hard, you know. Have dreams and and, and just you know keep moving and, and get involved. Get get involved. You know, get out there. Palms to Pines is a perfect opportunity, right? <laughs> You've got this great program going there, and don't just watch. Get out and give it a try. And you may not like this sport or that sport, but find one that you do, and then just give it your all. Well, Paul, thank you. This has been a wonderful interview, and. Uh... We wish you warm weather. <laughs> it's coming, Michael. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks for having me, buddy. All right. Bye. Talk soon.